This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray. Father, that's what we want to do. We want to come before you, Lord, and sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. And so, Lord, help us to do that now as we open up his word in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 24, verse 15, that's where we are this morning. Matthew 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child and to pray to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as what not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I've told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, shineth even of the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and there shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other." Okay, so here we are in this chapter 24. It all started off, this chapter started off at the end of the day, which seemed like it was gonna be just a pleasant walk back to Bethany via the Mount of Olives. And so then one looked back at the city from the Mount of Olives, and as they did, the disciples with chest swelling with a national pride looked at the one of the 
great wonders of the world, the temple of Jerusalem. Not just any temple, this was their temple. This was the temple of the Jewish people. So the disciples really couldn't contain themselves at this point with the beauty that they saw in front of them, especially these big stones, massive stones and the paintings on it. Mark 13.1 gives us this detail. Mark 13.1 says, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. They just had to stop. They just had to admire these stones in the temple and to point them out to Christ. And so they were expecting the Lord to agree with them and to say, oh, you have this beautiful, and the temple was beautiful. But the Lord said nothing about how beautiful those stones were, how impressive they were. And the disciples were caught totally off guard with what the Lord had to say, which was Matthew 24, 2, verse 2, verse 2. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, we can imagine and picture in our minds the disciples looking at each other saying, well, we didn't see that one coming. Who can predict what he's gonna say? And with that statement of the destruction of the temple, the disciples are immediately drawn to the future. I wonder if the disciples knew the Pandora's box that they were opening. And with that one simple question, which they just spoke in his ear privately, in verse three, verse three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? That's all they wanted to know, just two questions, very simple, just tell us when and what the sign's gonna be. And they, with those two questions, they got a halo dumped on them and it shook them to the core as they're trying to figure out what is he saying and what are the details, and it was all such a mystery to them. They were not even told anything, as we mentioned before. They knew nothing about a millennium, a thousand years that we know about from the book of Revelation, and as we look at what Christ said in these two chapters that we're in right now, chapter 24 and 25, we join the disciples in just listening we're just listening, we're trying to figure out all these details, like the disciples, we can't figure it all out either, just as they had no idea about a millennium, there's so much that I'm sure we don't know anything about, but like the disciples, nevertheless, extracting from what he said, valuable lessons, valuable truths in these two, and even though we can't put all the pieces of the puzzle together, we can extract truths. And we've learned that in these last days that the greatest danger is going to be, as he said, deception. And how important it is, because of deception coming, because of deception mounting, that we do the command that's given to us in 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, and here's the name that's given for the Bible, rightly dividing the word of truth, the word of truth. Deception is believing a lie, but the problem is that the deception comes with a lot of truth, a lot of truth. The deceiver uses truth to get a person to believe a lie. Lies are ugly, lies are not attractive, 
So the ugly lie has to be dressed in a beautiful garment, beautiful clothes of truth. Satan doesn't come up to people and say, I'm Satan, the dirty, rotten devil. I love death, I love pain, I love suffering, I love horror. He doesn't do that. If he did that, everyone would run away. But he has a tactic. Satan has a tactic. His tactic is 2 Corinthians 11, 14. 2 Corinthians 11, 14. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan's tactic is transformation. He looks like what he is not. He transforms from being a devil into being an angel. He transforms from being a devil of darkness, which he is, into being an angel of light. If our goats knew that the rattlesnakes they died from had this poisonous venom concealed in their mouths that they was ready to inject them through their fangs, they would have run away. They would never have approached the rattlesnakes that got into our pens. But the skin of the rattlesnake is beautiful, let's face it. It's beautiful, it's interesting, it's got symmetry, the diamondback especially with the, with the symmetry of the diamonds, the scales on the skin of the rattlesnake that move and they cause different textures to be seen, different colors. And so what the rattlesnake has done is he's using the beauty of his color, the diamond-shaped symmetry, the texture changes to draw in his prey, all the while concealing his poisonous fangs in his mouth until the victim's drawn into range. That's a picture of deception. That's why the serpent was used, is shown to us in Genesis 3 as the deceiver. It's the art of deception is to use truth, lots of truth, to draw a victim in, and this is the art of deception, until the victim is drawn in by the beauty of truth, truth, pure truth and then comes the poison of the air. Then is slipped in the curved ball. Then the deceiver doesn't even know that he swallowed a lie, but he has. And when you look at Mormonism, and when you look at Jehovah Witnesses, and when you look at the Iglesia Na Christu, much of what they teach is just pure, beautiful truth. And that's how they draw in their victims. And then comes the lie, which in those cases, the lie is Jesus Christ is not God. And by the way, most deception will attack this fundamental truth of Jesus Christ being God because it's Satan's goal to dethrone Christ. It's Satan's goal to deny Christ because Christ is going to be Satan's judge, he is Satan's judge, and the one who will finally see that Satan is cast into the eternal judgment of a lake of fire. The only way to detect the lie of deception is to stay immersed in the word of truth in the Bible. And this goes back to the Chinese bankers. The Chinese bankers would give their children when they were growing up real money to play with. And the children became so familiar as they played with the real money with what real money looked like that later in life when they saw counterfeit money, they recognized that's not real money. Why? Because of their familiarity in playing with the real money. And in the same way, it makes no sense to study the cults in order to recognize the deception. The more 
time that we spend invested in studying the word of truth, the Bible, the more we'll be like those Chinese children playing with real money and the more we'll be able to recognize error when some teaching is taught that's, that's not truth. Now, when the Lord said in verse two, Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be here left one stone upon another, it should not be thrown down. The details of the Roman seed, which lasted five years. The details of the Roman siege by Titus in 70 AD was not revealed to them. They didn't know. They didn't know the details, but what they did know from what Christ said was that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. They knew that. What they did understand was that the holy city of Jerusalem was now the guilty city of Jerusalem, and because of its guilt, it had to be destroyed. Think about this. I mean, what was the capital of Israel? What was the city of Jerusalem guilty of that merited their destruction? The city of Jerusalem was guilty of not receiving Christ when he came, John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. That doesn't take away from the truth that there was a very small group that did the next verse of John 1.12, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But the decision that the city of Jerusalem made was when the governor, when the Roman governor over Jerusalem asked the city of Jerusalem what they wanted to do with Christ, the King of the Jews, and their decision was definite, their decision was firm, and it was Mark 15, 9, Mark 15, 9. Pilate answered and saying, Pilate answered them saying, what will ye that I release unto you the King of the Jews? For he knew the chief priest had delivered him for envy, but the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, what will you then that I shall do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? They cried out, crucify him. And then Pilate said unto them, why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. This is what made Jerusalem guilty and destined to have to perish. And the city of Jerusalem signed their death warrant when Pilate said to them, look, I refuse to be guilty of this man's blood. He washed his hands in an act that said, I am not gonna be guilty of this man's blood. And the city of Jerusalem, said that they and their children would accept the guilt for killing Christ. In Matthew 27, 22, Matthew 27, 22, Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. The governor said, why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out to more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Horrific words, horrific words that the city of Jerusalem said. 
his blood be on us and on our children. And with those words, the guilty city of Jerusalem had to be destroyed. Now, but before the city was to be destroyed, Christ gave a command in verse 15, 15 and 16. He said, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Before the destruction, they were to flee to the mountains. And he said that they were to do this when they saw the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. Christ said that this abomination of the desolation standing in the holy place, when he said that, again, this was a mystery to the disciples of exactly what this was going to be, what Christ was, but he said it was referenced in the book of Daniel. Well, in the book of Daniel, there's three places that speak about something like this. First of all, in the book of Daniel, chapter nine, verse 25, chapter nine, verse 25, Daniel, Daniel said, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off or killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be a flood, and unto the end of war of desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So what Daniel is given here is a time frame, an important time frame for the coming of the Messiah, the killing of the Messiah, and the stopping of the sacrifices. The time frame that was given by Daniel from the command of the Persian king Cyrus to rebuild the temple to the coming of the Messiah. It was known, what Daniel said, when Christ would come, and since Daniel was in a foreign country in Babylon, his writings were well known there, especially by believing Gentiles who are called wise men from the East who looked to God for the coming of the Messiah as Daniel taught them to expect the coming of the Messiah. And that's why they came, and when they came at this time, as they went out, God gave them a star to help guide them, and that's what happened in Matthew chapter two, verse one, Matthew two, one. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. It was Daniel's prediction that told those wise men when to get going and move to Jerusalem to see the worship of him. They knew the time of the command by King Cyrus to rebuild, and they figured it out, and Daniel had told them, had predicted how the Messiah would come and be killed for the benefit of others. As we know, Christ died for our sins. 
And then Daniel said many other things that were a mystery, and they're still a mystery of a flood and a war of desolation and a confirmation of a covenant and overspreading of abominations that make desolate. But there's one point that Daniel said and repeated there and repeated also in other places, and it was sacrifices would stop. He said that in that prediction and also in Daniel 11.31, Daniel 11.31, arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Then in Daniel 12.11, Daniel 12.11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there should be 1,290 days. So again, The details of the predictions, it's not clear. But one thing is clear, that from those predictions, the daily sacrifice would stop. And this is the greatest lament of the Orthodox Jewish people today, that there is no sacrifice because there's no temple. And so what this is, he's speaking of in chapter 24, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, it's a mystery. Was it something that the Romans put in the holy place of the temple? We don't know. Was it like the Zeus God that the Greeks had put in the temple and caused pigs to be sacrificed on the altar? Will it be something like that in the future? We just don't know. But whatever it was in the past when the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD, or whatever it'll be in the future, Christ indicated that when it happens and when it will happen, that the person reading these passages in Daniel will have a great aha moment when they will understand what what, what Daniel was writing about. But even though the details of this abomination makes desolation remain a mystery, the command is very clear in verse 16. Verse 16, let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So what's clear is that God's people must come out of Jerusalem before the destruction. This abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, which God's people who are gonna be reading the book of Daniel at the time will recognize, is the signal that the destruction of Jerusalem is imminent, not to the non-believers. They'll just see it as, well, another event. But for the believers, God said, this is your sign, this is your signal that you have to get out of Jerusalem and head for the mountains. And it shows us how there is a time when God's people must leave, just like John, Apostle John heard the voice in heaven which said in Revelation 18.4, Revelation 18.4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. This is a principle in Revelation 18.4, Revelation 18.4, the principle of come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. It's a principle because in life, God does not want us to isolate from the world and have no contact with sinners. You know, Christ prayed very, very important, two points he prayed when he prayed to the Father in John 17, 15. John 17, 15, he said, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst 
keep them from the evil. So when Christ prayed to the Father in that John 17, 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. He was praying that we should not be isolated from the world. We should have, and I hope all of us do, we should have lost sinful friends. I hope we do. Otherwise, how are they gonna find Christ if we don't have any lost sinful friends? Romans 10.13, Romans 10.13 says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If we isolate ourselves from lost, sinful friends, how are they going to call on Jesus' name to be saved if they don't believe in Jesus? And how are they gonna believe if they don't hear about Jesus from us? Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.